first time or you know, it's been a while. You're coming in right in the middle of a series that we're in called Christian. It's a series by a guy named Andy Stanley. It's one of the first times we've ever decided to do a whole series by someone else. Uh, and as we've gone through, uh, gone through it, as I was listening to it originally, I thought, man, this is something that, that our church needs to hear, something I needed to hear, but something our church needs to hear, something I believe the church needs to hear. And uh, we've, been, we've been talking about this whole idea of what it means to be Christian. I've heard some of you talking with me, too, just about having conversations with other people about this and all of a sudden you know you're the smartest person in the room we're like hey how many times is the word christian in the bible and they're like uh and you're like you know the answer uh it's it's pretty cool but before we get into that i want to i want to ask you you know about uh you know some brand recognition um if i get i'll show you a few things and just shout out when you know what brand uh these are what's that right on nike and the next one right on you got it praise the lord and finally, Chevrolet. You know, I, it was pretty easy for me to find these. I just Googled, you know, Chevy logo, McDonald's logo, Apple logo. And I'd get a whole bunch of pictures that come up, but they all looked very similar to, the, to each other. You know, the, all the McDonald's logos all had the big M. All the Apple logos had some Apple with a bite taken out of the side. And then I thought, I'll Google Christian logo. And as I Googled that, I got a gazillion responses, and none of them looked the same. Some had fish, some had crosses, some had hands, some had hearts, some had fire, some had um, just three crosses, some had church buildings. So, some, I don't even know what those were, but it was like, I'm not, I thought, it's rather than waste our time and try and show them all, I just realized, you know, it, it not only does that um, further explain this idea of people have just no idea, how do we define Christian? You know, we can define some of these things pretty easy with a, with a logo or a brand, but what about the brand called Christian? There's millions of people around the world who slap that brand on every day. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And they have no idea really what it, what it means. Or they hear someone else is a Christian, they're not really sure what that means. Uh, you know, have you ever been shocked to find out that you knew somebody for a whole lot of years and all of a sudden they tell you that they're, they've been a Christian their whole life? You know, you're the guy at work and you're like, all of a sudden you tell somebody, yeah, I'm a Christian. You're like, he's a Christian? And you're like, what? No way! You know, I've known this guy for 10 years. There's no way that he's a Christian. Uh, maybe you've been shocked on the other side where, where you, you did business or had dealings or dated a Christian and they did you really wrong. And you're like, I thought they were a Christian. How could they possibly do that? And you were shocked to find out, you know, that Christian meant something completely different. The, the truth is that you can call yourself Christian. You can really live any way you want to. You can believe any way you want to. And it's not your fault. You know whose fault it is? The Bible. So you're like, What? Well, we've learned that the Bible only mentions the word Christian three times, and it doesn't define it. It doesn't tell us this is what Christian is. So what we've done in North America is just kind of, it's become this, this just this uh, really undefinable term that a lot of people wear as a brand. And if we think about, think about this, we know that Jesus never called his followers Christians. He never told them to be. He told them to be something else. Remember what it was? Disciples. Why? Because that brand of disciple follower of Jesus, it's very definable. As we go through the Bible, you'll see that, that there's things that say, hey, this is, what, this is what a disciple is. We got nothing on the list of, hey, this is what a Christian is, but it says that this is what a disciple is. And we've been challenging ourselves as a church not to settle for just being Christian, but to be who Jesus called us to be, and that is disciples, followers of him. If we're going to wear the name Christian, it would be that it is because we're followers of him. Many of you have heard the, uh, this saying, if it looks like a duck, and it swims like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, it's a 
duck. Thank you. Last night they couldn't get that. I was like, what? what? Too much turkey or something. But you know, as I thought about that, I thought about the opposite of it. It's probably also true. If it doesn't look like a duck, if it doesn't sound like a duck, if it doesn't swim like a duck, it's probably not a... Right. So as, we, as I was thinking about this, you know, if it sounds like a, a disciple, if it talks like a disciple, if it looks like a disciple, it's probably a disciple. But if it doesn't look like one, doesn't sound like one, you couldn't tell for nothing. It's probably not a disciple. See, the question and the whole purpose of this series is to get down to our hearts individually, that each of us would have to answer this question for ourselves. Am I a Christian or am I a disciple? Am I a follower of Jesus Christ or am I settling for something that just is a, a name only? The disciples checklist, you know, if you're like, well, am I a disciple? Does it, does it walk like a duck? The sound, the th- some of the thoughts we've learned so far is a disciple it said, you're going to know that people are going to know that you're my disciples by how you what? Love. How you love who? One another. How you love these people who are also followers of Jesus Christ. Do you love them? Not just tolerate them. Not just like, oh yeah, I can hang out for one hour at Kingsway. But after that, I do not want to see that person at all for the rest of the week. You know, I, It's this idea of going out of our way to show forgiveness to one another going out of our way to be patient with one another, kind. You know, the things we hear at weddings, but to say we're living that out in our lives with one another. He says, that's how they're going to know that you're Christians, and that's how they, they, you're going to know that, that we're disciples. Um, and we learn, too, that our job isn't to judge those who are not followers of Christ. Uh, as a disciple, that's not our job to go out and, and tell the world where they're all wrong. That's, um, that's something that he said, too, that our job is to... Um, do a better job of, of uh, holding one another accountable within the family of, of faith. And thinking, you know, that, that what that means, though, is that as a disciple, I got to have that thing in my life that says, yes, I can check the box that says, I'm willing and wanting to be held accountable to being a follower of Christ. For some, you're like, no, nah, just don't talk to me about that, you know. Leave me just on my own. But there's that desire to say, I want to be, you know, a, a, a better and growing follower of Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked about living our lives full of grace and full of truth like Jesus did. That in every situation, we deal with it in grace and truth. Meaning, when it's all about, you know, when it's about us and we've done something wrong, and we just want grace, just grace, just grace. That we're open to say we need truth as well in our lives. And then when someone else does something wrong, we got all kinds of truth for them. Hey, we can see what you've done wrong. We know and know that we also have full of grace that we offer both of those things. And it's a, it's a, it was this tension we talked about last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to listen to that one online. But we talked about these brands. These brands that we've seen just earlier, those logos, those brands, they've gone on to influence the world. You know, when people are thinking about, what tractor do I buy? Hmm, I saw a John Deere thing at church. I think I'm going to buy one of those, you know? Or for you today, you're like, where am I going to eat lunch because there's no Thanksgiving dinner? You're like, hmm, I have just this craving to go to McDonald's for some reason. I don't know what that is. Um, there, there's this thing about how those brands are recognizable, but they, those, many of those brands are all over the world. You know, I, I, if any of you have been on mission trips, you find McDonald's everywhere. You know, in the Philippines, they serve McRice. Uh, in South America, they serve like McTacos. They figured out a way, McLobster out on the East Coast. And you're like, why? Well, but it's, um, they found a way to um, reach uh, people in every single place. Um, and they have had an influence. And influence is simply this. It's the capacity to have an effect on the character, on the development, or the behavior of someone or something. To have an effect on the character, the development, or the behavior of someone or something. And they, they've, they've been able to do that. My question for you is, do you think Christianity is still able and is still actively doing that? 
Is the Christianity that we know in North America, is it affecting the character, development, and behavior of, of people in, um, for the positive? Is there still that influence the way that Jesus had, uh, had called us to early on? I'd say probably not. Not, to the, not nearly to that level. See, the early followers of Jesus Christ, they took the brand of disciples seriously. They said, we are going to live this, um, live this out. And you know what they did? Because they lived that way, if you go to Rome today uh, and you look at Rome, uh, and it, it's covered in crosses. There's crosses on, on most of the buildings. There's crosses around mo- many people's necks. In the windows, you see crosses everywhere. In the Colosseum, in the Slave Gate, in the Emperor's Gate, you see crosses. And uh, those crosses... Uh, some of you would say, well, of course there's crosses there. That's where the Pope lives. Of course they have to have lots of crosses. But if we, if we go back in time to AD 64, um, 65, about 30 years, 35 years after Jesus uh, left the planet, and we went back to that time frame, Nero had just burned down most of Rome, and uh, he had said, you know, he blamed on this, this group of people that they all hated called the Christians, and he put a bounty out on their head, sent his henchmen out to go track them down, and uh, these guys went looking for for Christians and would bring them in. They'd meet Nero, and then they'd find out if they were Christians, and we learned about Tacitus saying that they would just be charged, and automatically they would end up either in a, in a gladiatorial fight without a sword, they'd end up being fed to animals, or they'd be hung up uh, alive to burn uh, as lanterns in something he called Nero's Circus. It wasn't a circus, but more of a, uh, of a Colosseum event, and uh, they, they would be um, persecuted in, a, in a crazy ways. So if we went back to that time when all that's happening, we just went just outside of Rome. We found a farm. And on that farm back behind the house, there was a barn. And in that barn, you know, hiding behind some hay bales and in the straw, we find a couple Christian families, followers of Jesus who are fleeing from Rome. And they're trying to get out of there. They don't know where they're going. You know, their kids are crying. They've had to leave everything behind in, in, to go somewhere they don't know. We see it, we hear about it happening, you know, in our world today. To sit down on the straw with them, and, and if we were to sit down with them and ask them the question and say, hey, do you guys realize that in, you know, in just a matter of time, that this person that you follow called Jesus, he, th- that this, this thing that you're a part of is going to totally take down the Roman Empire, it's going to totally influence the Roman Empire? And they'd be sitting there saying, no, 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 you don't, you have no I- idea what you're talking about. They'd be like, Rome is forever. Rome has always been. It's always going to be. People are, you know, they're, they're, uh, they worship Jupiter. They always have, and, you know, they're, they're always going to. Yes, we believe in Jesus, that he's the Savior. We believe that he's the Son of God. We're followers of him, but we're like a small movement, and Nero keeps killing our people, so we're getting smaller. We're not getting bigger. Our influence is not getting bigger. They would sit there and think, you know what, you're, you're crazy, and yet, in a matter of time, that's exactly what happened. In just 300 short years, as we look back at it now, it came to the place where nobody was worshiping Jupiter anymore, and the message of Jesus Christ was everywhere. And yet they would have thought, man, we're under persecution. We have no influence. We're running for our lives. And yet, because they were passionate followers of Jesus Christ, passionate disciples of him, it says it did exactly, exactly that, that now all of the, uh, the, the, the temples back then have become tourist attractions that, you know, had we told them saying, hey, do you know that in a, in, in a matter of time, they're going to build a massive cathedral to, um, to, uh, to honor um, Christ and it'll be named after Peter uh, and they're, uh, they're going to build that right on the site of uh, Nero Circus where the greatest persecution happened is now going to be St. Peter's Basilica, which is like the, the largest um, building built in honor of, of Christ in the world. 
that all those crosses all over Rome, they're not representing Rome, they're not representing crucifixion, they're representing one crucifixion of one man, and that's the Jesus that you follow. And they'd be sitting there thinking, ah, I, I, I don't really, it, how, how? Well, we'll tell you how, because as we think about as we think about it, we realize that they took a message seriously, and because of that, they turned their world upside down and influenced their whole world, and that it actually changed. So look, the question comes to me, what am I doing? What are you doing? Are we, are we living that same um, life of saying, I'm a passionate follower, I want to be a disciple, or am I just settling for something that, that has no influence in the world, something called Christian? So we want to take a look at the speech that got it all started back in the day where Jesus was saying, hey, here, guys, this is what I want you to, um, to, to passionately follow. This is the thing that's going to change the world. And uh, so we find it in Matthew chapter 5. If you got your Bibles, uh, go there. Matthew chapter 5, verses, uh, verses 1. It's early on in Jesus' ministry. He's just kind of starting. He, he says, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, he uh, went up on a mountainside and he sat down. So Jesus saw these crowds come and he thought, hey, this is a, an opportune time to kind of share with them why I've come here. So we know the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous uh, sermons in the Bible or messages in the Bible. And, and it says that, um, at that point that Jesus began to share, you know, his bel- the beliefs, the values, the worldview, the ethics, the habits that were going to change the world. He began to share it with those people. So he says, um, then uh, he sat on the mountainside. His disciples um, came around him. Uh, and so then it says he began to teach them. So in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3, he begins to teach them this, and you're thinking, okay, so what is it? So right now, he's going to give these followers of Jesus Christ, these disciples, he's going to give them the revolutionary, world-changing, take down the whole Roman Empire message. This is what he's about to give them, and he starts off with something like this. God blesses the poor um, who realize um, their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It says God blesses the next verse, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And they're probably stopping him saying, Jesus, wait a second here. This is not going to take down Rome. You know, humble, considerate. Do you know how Rome operates? They don't deal in this way. If we don't fight, we're not going to win. And he says, no, blessed are those who, humble, who are humble, for they're going to inherit the whole earth. And like, Jesus, we haven't even had our freedom as a nation for like a number of years. We can't even control our own nation. How are we supposed to inherit the whole earth? This, this humble stuff, I don't, I don't get that. He goes on. He says, blessed um, are those who hunger and thirst for justice or for righteousness, for they're going to be filled. With what? With righteousness. Um, God blesses those who are merciful, for they're shown mercy. And they're probably thinking, you know what? Merciful? Really? Like, we've we got to be merciful to, the, to this Roman Empire? Like, yeah, mercy. Yeah, that's great. That'll get them. Sure, Jesus. And they're like, Matthew, you writing this down? And he's like, ah, I don't even know if I should. You know, this is, like, I don't know where this is going. And, and as, they, as they're thinking, they're probably sitting there looking like you guys, like, oh, this is like depressing. You know, they're, they're probably sitting on the mound like, I hope Jesus does a miracle or something because this this speech isn't going anywhere but he keeps going he says god blesses those um, whose hearts are pure for they're going to see god god blesses those who are um who work for peace for they'll be called the children of god and they'd be scratching their heads they'd be saying you know what peace really did you not know that people who make peace with the roman empire they just get swallowed up they just become taxpayers to the to the roman horde they never become their own nation again he says god blesses those who work for peace God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. 
Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And they're sitting there thinking, what? As you sit on this mountain, they're like, okay, so let me just go down the list. As disciples, you know, it's who he's talking to, his disciples. He says, so let me get this straight. So we're poor, sad, humble, righteous, merciful, pure, peacemaking, persecuted, and insulted followers of you waiting for a reward in heaven someday. That is going to take down the Roman Empire? A group of people who are poor, sad, humble, righteous, merciful, um, peacemaking, persecuted, insulted followers who are waiting for a reward in heaven? They're like, no way, Jesus. You've got to give us something else. How is that supposed to do anything? And yet Jesus, you know, maybe he smiled, maybe he was just looking at them, realizing, you know what? You don't realize it, but this is how, you know, as we change the Roman Empire, as we, as we give you something different, it's a new thing that I'm telling you about. He says this, you know, that this is going to influence Rome, and they're like, wow, I don't think so. And yet we know by history that 300 years later, it did exactly, exactly that. So they're like, how do we remember all of that stuff? And Jesus carries on and gives them two word pictures. And I, you know, for you, you're sitting here, how do we remember all this stuff? I hope that you remember the following two. In Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says to them, he, sa- he tells them two things. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Who's he talking to? Disciples. Yes, if you're a disciple saying, I want to be a disciple, I want to be a follower of Jesus. He's saying this about you. You're a salt and you are light. And so salt, when we think about salt, um, we think about something that's, you know, you add to, to bacon and eggs, so, you know, add some flavor. But back then, that's not what they used salt for. They all would have known when he said, you are the salt, that it was a preservative. Um, for those of you who don't know what a preservative is, it's, 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 it's this. Preservative is a substance called salt added to food to prevent um, decomposition due to chemical change or bacterial action. Maybe that's the only thing you learned today, but there you go. Um, uh, this preservative, it's there to... Um, to, to make sure that something doesn't degenerate or decompose. You know, when there's no preservative, things rot. When there's no preservative, things deteriorate. When there's no preservative, things stink. And so Jesus is saying to them, you, as disciples, you are the preservative of the whole earth. So if you don't, and he, he says, if salt loses its saltiness, it's not worth anything anymore. So he says, if you don't preserve, the earth rots. If you don't preserve, culture stinks. If you don't preserve, then life around you starts going downhill because he says you are the salt of the earth, um, of the entire earth. And the culture that he was speaking into, they would be like, what? You know, we're not, we don't, we're not the ones who are going to preserve or, or make the earth what it's going to be. The people who, who, um, who are the strongest, they make all the rules. They decide how life is going to go. Not, not us. Whoever's, you know, whoever's got the most might, they make what's right. Back then, women had no rights. Children had fewer rights. Mercy and compassion, generosity, those weren't virtues. What Jesus was talking about, those weren't virtues back then. Those were things that, that, that were for just for weak people. And we don't fully appreciate any of that growing up in this, in this uh, part of the world. Growing up in North America, we grow up with this thought of common human courtesy and common human decency. We, we've grown up with that, uh, and we think that that's just... Um, common. We think that everyone lives like that, but they don't. If you've traveled every, anywhere in the world, you realize that, you know, most places don't live like here. See, these, the states and Canada were founded um, on these uh, Judeo-Christian values. The, the, this idea of what Jesus taught was like woven so deep into the culture of what this new world was going to look like over here. 
We've, we've gotten away from it, but it's, it's still there. We still, we still th- um, think this way. We can't imagine that a woman would be treated as less than a man. When that happens, we, we get upset. But in other cultures, that's common. Why is it that in, 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 uh, in our country, we think that it's wrong for someone to own another human being, when in cultures all around the world, that's still practiced? Why do we think that children are valuable here, when in many other cultures, they don't think they're valuable? Why do we think that generosity and um, compassion and mercy, those are great things, when in other places, they simply think that that's weak? Why do we feel like those who risk their lives and income for others in need is a good thing, whereas we can see in our world today, there are others who are risking their lives just to take it over? Why do we see it that way? You know why? It's because Jesus brought all of those values, and we've learned them. We, it's not, it's not um, human nature. You know how you know that? You just watch kids. I got four kids, and they love to fight for some reason. Um, and Reese has got two new weapons now, or three actually, a cast and two crutches. So the boys have left her alone, but, but they go after one another. I've got Max, who's three, and um, Finn, who's two. And, you know, Max will, he, if Finn, he, they're both the same size somehow, but um, Finn, he'll take one of Max's toys and then book it as fast as he can run. And uh, Max will come after him and just at the top of his lungs screaming. And then he'll hit him. And then he'll throw himself on the floor for a second and like, ah! and then get up and realize he still hasn't given the toy back so he'll pick up another toy and try and offer it to him and then he'll just throw it right at him and then go for the jugular and we're like by the time that gives us enough time to get over there and uh, you know hear the screams and pull them apart and be, try and make them share toys but guess what they didn't learn that you know last time Beth took my iPad I didn't chase her down the hall throwing screaming grab her an iPhone and hand it to her and say here let's trade and then when she didn't just go for the jugular until you know somebody showed up to take us apart they, they didn't learn that from us. Why, you, you know why? Because it's hardwired right in them. You know, that's the way they're born. They're born with that uh, selfishness and, uh, and all that. And Jesus says, you know what? There's something different. Why do we believe and act differently um, uh, uh, in, in this culture, but also as followers of Christ? It's this. It's the reflection uh, for those who act differently. It's a reflection of a worldview that says there's one single God. And that um, eventually we're going to give an account of our lives to that one single God. And that one single God is uh, the creator of everything in this universe, but the creator of every one in this universe, and deeply cares about every single person that you ever come eyeball to eyeball with. He deeply cares about them, and so when we start realizing that, it realizes we got to be careful how we treat one another. I have to be careful how I treat you because He loves you, and you got to be careful how you treat me because whether you believe it or not, He loves me, and that's. That's the, the thought that Jesus was sharing with them is the, this idea of red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. People hadn't heard this kind of stuff before. You know, when the children wanted to come up to Jesus, the disciples, what did they do? Chase them away. And he says, no, you guys missing it. They're, they're important. And he said, let them come to me. Um, men, woman, child, they were all deeply, deeply important. So that what he was sharing with these people is like, God's no longer Jupiter, and God is no longer this, this the group of, this um, pantheon of gods out, you know, that's just messing and playing with, the, with humans as toys. It's a God who deeply, deeply loves each and every person. And he said this, you know, as we, the, we live out that love with one another, the world will be able to tell that we're his disciples because the world doesn't just live like that. They're going to see something different in the way that we live. And it's not just natural. He's saying be intentional about how you preserve. Realize that you are salt. 
You are salt. You are the preserver of this world. So preserve. And then he says in Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, he says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one put, lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on its stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. He says, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. As followers of Jesus Christ, that's who you are. And some are just like, I don't, but I don't want to be the light of the world. I don't want to have to be the salt of the earth. I just want to say a prayer, Jesus, I accept you in my heart. Now I just want to live my life. I want to die and go to heaven someday. I don't want to have to do this. I just want to be Christian. I just want to go to church on Sunday. I don't, I don't want to have to be the, the, the light of the, of the whole world. And Jesus would say to you, I don't know who taught you that, but it wasn't me. He says, I never taught that. That's not who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and saying, here, add this to your checklist. This is who you are. You are salt and you are light. It would have been strange for them to hear this. You are the light of the whole world. Their world was small. Their world was, they, they only ever traveled about 15 kilometers from their home. They didn't do like we did. Um, Hagersville would be about the farthest they went on vacation. <laughs> right on, eh? <laughs> that, that's, that, that was their world. They didn't even know there was North and South America. And, but because they believed that they were to be the light of the world, there's churches in North and South America. Why? Because they took it seriously, what it meant to be a disciple. He says, you're the light of the world you don't even know about. And he says it to disciples today. You are the light to the world that you don't even realize. He says, you are a city on a hill. When he talks about that city built on a hill, it's this word placed. This idea of it being intentional. And if you would go back um, to that part of the country, you could see it would look very similar to this, that the cities would be built on these hills, built out of white limestone, the sun shining on them uh, during the day. You could see them for miles. At night, they'd have their oil lamps burning. You could see them for miles. It went both ways. They would be able to see what was coming for miles as well if they needed to defend themselves. But Jesus is saying, just like a light and just like um, uh, a city, he says, you are strategically placed. As a disciple, you're strategically placed. And you're like, I, I don't think I'm strategically placed. Like, I just transferred here to work at U.S. Steel, and now I wish I hadn't, you know. I'm just trying to find a way to get, to get back to wherever I came from. Or, you know, I, I just fell in love with this guy at, you know, at uh, Dort, and so we got married, and now I got to live here on the other side of the country. Or however you feel like, I'm just kind of here. And you think, I'm not strategically placed. I'm just here. He says, no, as a disciple, you're a strategically placed light. It might seem random to you, but it's not random. You're strategically placed where you are for a reason. And, you know, he says this, um, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So it's just like a light and just like a city on a hill. Let your light shine before others. And we would read it like this. Let your light shine before others that they might see your church attendance and say, wow, dang, he's a good Christian. But he didn't say that. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Let, let them see your good works. Let them see the way that you live. Let them see the good works that you do in your life. And you think, well, I don't know if I really got anything to offer. <laughs> the good news is that when Jesus was talking to the first disciples, they, he was talking to people who didn't go anywhere and who didn't have anything. And he told them, you're the light. You're the salt. He said, let them see your good deeds, your extraordinary good deeds. The things that people scratch their head and go, people do that? You know, you guys are, I've seen so many of you who are so good at this. Somebody gets sick and all of a sudden meals just start showing up. 
You know, someone's not, not doing too well, and like somebody goes over and mows the lawn for them. Uh, it's, you know, you know even um, there's, there's others who I, I know just with their neighbors. They're intentional about um, reaching their neighbors, and they're bringing, you know, they're busy. They got tons of kids already, but they start bringing the other family's kids uh, out to, to, to church and doing just different things, being a blessing to them. But he says this. He says, let them see your good deeds. Don't hide them all. Let, actually do them so they can see them. But he says, don't do them for, for your own credit. That's not what disciples do. Disciples aren't like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll make, a, make dinner for them. And they're like, wow, you guys are such nice people. And they're like, yeah, we are. We're, we're pretty awesome. You should get to know us. I mean, we're even more awesome than, than you think already. And, and I'll send you another apple pie to prove it. It is this idea of just let it be that it'd be like a, uh, an arrow on our t-shirt or uh, something that just points, it says to, uh, points to, to our father. That when they see our good works, they're like, Man, who does that? You're a really nice, you might, man, you're a really great person. You think, you know what? Yeah, but I wasn't always this way. You know, I used to be, I used to be different. I used to be just all about myself, but I met Jesus Christ and he changed my life. There's an amazing God who's done something in my life that, that's put this genuine care for other people. Uh, and that's who he is. And as you go, I think John just said it, there was that 15 seconds to say, you know, when people start asking, that you start connecting the dots for them. They, they say, hey, we think that person's amazing. Wait a second, and you begin to show them, no, it's him, that he's amazing, and that he also loves them. It's not preaching. It's just, just this idea of saying, let them see good works, and out of that good works, they're just drawn to, um, to know why you do something like that, and let them see that connection. You know, some of you are fantastic at that. Some of you are just like, ah, I just want to be Christian. I don't want to have to do all that stuff. I don't want to have to do that. But what Jesus called us to was that. So one thing I know about you as, a, as either a follower of Jesus Christ or just being here this morning, one thing I know about you is that somewhere in your journey, someone was salt for you and someone was light for you. Someone was salt and someone was light. Someone was a city on a hill. Someone, and, uh, someone was strategically placed for you to shine for you and they probably didn't realize it. Do you know what? They weren't like thinking that day, yeah, I'm a city on a hill at Tim Hortons today, you know, and I'm just going to shine. I'm a city on a hill at Prominent Homes today. I'm a city on a hill at U.S. Steel. I'm a light that's shining. They didn't think that way, but they were, and they didn't realize. And so for the same thought is that for you, he's saying go and be intentional about being a, a light, being salt, be intentional about shining, being a city on a hill for them. Um, whether they, um, whether they realize it yet or not. Um, how many of you, you think, you know, man, I'm so grateful for the person who was in my life at the right time and shared the gospel with me. You think, man, they probably didn't realize that they were sitting on a hill, but I can see that they were. Those people who came into our spouses' lives and, you know, who shared the, the hope and, the, and you think, man, they weren't listening to me, but God, you just brought the right person at the right time. I can see that you, you brought that person across their path to share with them, you know, the truth and life. And you're like, yeah, I can see they were a light. They probably didn't realize it. I think about, you know, for our kids, the people who cross our kids' path and help point them to, uh, to a relationship with Jesus Christ— they probably didn't realize it. I thought about my Sunday school teacher, Gerhold Folson, um, from, from way back. Many of you know her. Like, yeah, from um, Cambro, and she, she led me to the Lord when I was 12. She probably didn't realize that that one night of staying extra late after kids' church on a Sunday night and talking to this kid who had a whole lot of questions and uh, got to this place where accepting Jesus Christ would make the difference in my life that it's made today. She was a city on a hill. She didn't know it. 
But what a difference it's made in my life. What a difference it's made in our lives. Why? Because somebody was. And so he's saying that same thing to us as disciples of Jesus Christ. Be intentional about being salt, a preserver. Be intentional about being a light. That means high school students, you are the light of your school. You are the influence of your school. And you're like, ah, I'm just a minor niner. I can't even find my locker half the time. How am I supposed to influence anybody at this school? Maybe at your work, you're like, yeah, Mark, that sounds really great, but you know, I got, a, I got a, a loophole because my boss says we're not allowed to talk about religion or politics, and so religion's in there. I can't talk about it. The good news is that salt always preserves and light always shows the way, even when it doesn't realize it's doing it. Being intentional about being salt, it always preserves. Being intentional about being light, it always shines away. What does that look like? Even when you don't see it working, it's not going out and preaching. It's, it's like this. It's like when everyone in your high school class wants to skip because it doesn't matter, but you know you're supposed to be there, and your follow Jesus ethics on the inside say, you know what? No, I, I need to be honorable, and I'm going to be there. And everybody's like looking at you like, what? You're like, no, you know what? I'm going to be, I'm going to be salt. I'm going to go. I'm going to preserve culture so that, you know, there's still going to be students in high school in 10 years from now, that not everybody just, you know, skips. This idea of, of um, you know, when, when everyone else is doing it, doing whatever it might be, and you're like, ah, it just goes against something in me that, about following Jesus Christ, that you're going to stand and say, you know what? No, I'm going to be salt. I'm going to preserve. You don't have to tell them that. You just do it. You know, when everyone else is lying and at work or stealing from work and calls it borrowing, you know, or they're cheating, and, and you're just like, ah, and they want you to join them. Come on, just fudge the numbers a bit. It's going to be better for all of us. Or, hey, man, you know what? You have a nap for 30 minutes, and then I'll have a nap for 30 minutes, and we won't tell nobody. It's like, you know what? I just, I can't. You know what? I, I, I'm here to, to give my best because I don't just work for these guys. I work for someone else. And that's, you know, that's him. You don't have to tell them, but it's that idea on the inside. And as you do that, you're like, they, they might look at you and be like, ah, you know, and people are saying, hey, why don't you guys just move in together? If, you know, everyone else does. It's kind of like, ah, it goes against what's inside of me. I just, you know, I just, that's not how I, uh, how I live. That's, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's just not, it's just not right. And, and out of that, you're like, maybe, you know, maybe un- um, accidentally, you're going to make people feel guilty accidentally they're going to look at you and be like, what? What's up with that person? But guess what? It's those people. It's those moments where you see so many people say, you know what? I saw that guy at work and he was different. I saw that guy and you know what? I didn't have the, I didn't have the, the guts to tell him back then, but the way that he lived made a difference for me. There was something there. I didn't feel judged. I felt drawn to what he was all, um, what he was all about. You know, when there's kids bullying that one kid at school, you just say, you know what? I want to be light to that person. That you're like, I'll go against what everyone else says to hang out with that person. Guess what? I I was that bullied kid in school. I remember to this day the kids who bullied, and I remember to this day the kids who came around. People who lived something different. I want to leave you with this last story. It's the the story of a, a follower of Jesus who took it seriously to be salt and light. His name was Telemachus. He was a monk from Eastern um, from uh, Eastern Europe, and he had come uh, to Rome. Uh, and as he was on his way to Rome, he, he entered uh, during one of the days where one of Nero's circus Colosseum games was still going on. So he went to the Colosseum. Uh, everybody was going there, and he went there. And he was as he was there, he saw what was going on. Christians and people, um, uh, uh, others, there's this gladiatorial fights where people were watching men fight to the death. These slaves fight to the death. It triggered something in his heart that he just says, this cannot go on. He wandered all the way down through and he walked onto the, um, onto the, into the ring where this was happening. And he said, you know, um, as, as he was down there, in the name of Christ, stop. 
There's different versions of, but they say the most accurate one is that at that point when he said, stop, that those gladiators stopped because what's a monk doing here? This isn't, this isn't the way it goes. But it says that the crowd, so angry that the gladiators stopped fighting because of this guy, picked up rocks and began to stone Telemachus to death. On, uh, Honorius was the uh, emperor at that time, and a few days later, when he had, had witnessed and, and um, had heard uh, how this had affected people, he saw what Telemachus had done, and it says he, uh, he honored him specifically and said, in the, in, the, in the honor of Telemachus and what he stands for, this will be the last time that there is ever gladiatorial fights in this arena. Shortly after, he shut down all gladiatorial fights in all of Rome. Why? Because one follower of Jesus who just said, I'm just going to be salt. I'm just going to be light. It cost him his life, which is not what's going to happen for most of you. But it was this idea of saying, you know what? I want to be intentional. We have no idea who may be watching. Think about the person who led Billy Graham to the Lord. (laughs) We don't know who they are, but boy, are we glad they did. You know, we think about some of those things and realize we don't know who may be watching. We don't know who you might be salt and be light for. We don't know who's on the very edge of a breakthrough in their life just because you chose to be salt and to be light, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's not settle for being Christian. My encouragement to you is to pray and say, God, help me to be more effective salt. Help me to be more effective light. Thank you for life. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for hope. Thank you for love. And the list just goes on and on. Jesus, thank you for this family today, that we're a family because of this, because of what you've done in and uh, uh, through each of our lives. So I pray today, again, Holy Spirit, that you just remind each person of what you've desired to speak into their heart today, that you give them courage to live that out as they find opportunities this, this week to be salt and to be light, just because they're determined to be followers of you. That you give them courage to walk that out and live that out. And uh, may there be just opportunities for lives to be uh, changed and stories to be told that just point to you, to how amazing you are, to your hope, to your life for our world. Love you a lot. Thank you again for just an amazing day to live this out. Uh, In your name, for your glory, I pray. Amen.